Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have Jen Gumbel with me, and she's with the Organized Afterlife. She's an estate planning professional and attorney, and she loves getting into the mess of family dynamics around estate planning. <laughs> well, I'm saying you love it. I, you know, I we met at a conference called FinCon, and I don't remember what session we were in, but Jen got up and put her hand up, and she started sharing stuff. And all I can remember is lots of excitement about her work. So. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank, thank you so much, Ed. Yes, absolutely. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So I'm an estate planning and probate attorney in the state of Minnesota. And first of all, this is an area that is just wrapped up in so much family dynamic, whether it's worrying about your parents' um, issues and trying to figure out how to have a conversation with them or young parents who can't decide who to name as guardians for their kids. You know, it's something you should do. A lot of people don't because they just get paralyzed by that choice. And usually that, that inability to make a decision is wrapped up in so much family dynamic Um, to the back end of it where with, with probates, you know, it's, it's a night and day difference in administrations between the families that, are able to uh, to work together and communicate and get along versus those that don't. And usually those that don't, it's a little bit, they end up losing so much money all told when they can't find common ground. So you would say there's a high cost of family dysfunction. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah, this is something that I've, I was thinking about probably knowing that we're going to be doing this interview is, Thinking, you know, most parents, I think, when they're holding the little child, their baby, they're not thinking about fifty years down the road, yeah. and how like that little baby is going to be caring for them in their estate when they're dead, yeah. and that baby's siblings will be a part of that, and so, yes. and the quality of the relationships that you have with your baby and the sibling relationships you set up, uh, barring oh, some intervention, will carry through all the way to your end of life estate planning issues. Oh, we see, you know, we get like kind of this front row seat to, you know, the actual legacy people left. You know, we talk about the, right. we talk about legacy uh, as kind of this big term. I think, unfortunately, we use it interchangeably with wealth uh-huh. or, or simply with how many kids did you have? You know, how many kids and grandkids and all of that. Right. And not really like what, what impact did you have, you know, with your kids, if you have them or right. your other family members or the other people around you, um, what impact are you having with that wealth? Yeah. And those things can go good and those things can go not so great. <laughs> and there, yeah. there's so much that we see because we see the effect of different ways of raising children uh, and how that plays out, you know, at, at the end of it, when those kids are in their 50s and 60s and and with their siblings. And it's like a master class in parenting <laughs> to watch. 
Man, it's such a relief to, to hear an estate planning professional openly talk about this because I, I feel like when I talk to other estate planning professionals, they just don't even want to name that reality. Yeah. Like, and this is not you being critical of families and their levels of functioning. It's just, no, I've, I've sat on the front lines. So I've sat with families sorting through people that have been disinherited. People, right? Like that's probably mm-hmm. one of the big things that I imagine comes up or parents not wanting to turn over any of the state planning documents pre-mortem. Oh, you know, I, I think probably, probably the things that we run into quite often. And I, you know, I work in a rural ish area. Um, I work, I work in Rochester, Minnesota, which is kind of a combination of um, a lot of big, well-known worldwide corporations um, and nonprofits like the Mayo Clinic, but um, but also lots of farms. And we, we see so many farms and businesses where the idea is this is going to be a family uh-huh. thing. But then when the when that first person who built it is holding on so tightly and they can't, you know, they just look at their kids like, oh, you're, you know, like, I can't trust you to run this. I can't. And they hold on so tightly that they they haven't slowly brought in the that person and equipped them, you know, to be able to to run the business. And this thing that was supposed to be a family thing, you know, sometimes doesn't play out. And a lot of times it's because of how tightly that first per, first person who built it is holding on to it. Yeah, that process of of change and growth and what I would say is maturation doesn't happen for a lot mm-hmm. of family firm founders and whether it's in the farming industry or in other um, business operations, the, the stories are so common that's almost laughable. And uh, we're not if you're mm-hmm. if you're in that position, we're not laughing at you. We're just like the pattern, like because as professionals, the value we bring is we work with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have only run one family business in your life, probably. Yep. But you've seen we've seen hundreds of family businesses, and the yep. patterns are pretty common once you start to see them. Mm-hmm. They they really are, mm-hmm. and and that rigidity is really one big piece of it, and and that's where you know for me the financial therapy side is asking the question: How do we help people relax? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like their muscles are so tight that they can't let go of this thing. It's like you need a good massage therapist to like, <laughs> feel yeah, relaxed. Yeah, like massage of the psyche. You know, <laughs> it is a massage of the psyche. You know, there's a lot of it revolving around um, our perceptions of death and mortality and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But this percep- perception of being kind of this, this um, American Superman uh, that you build oh. something and you're, and you're going to create your kingdom and you're going to always be in control. Uh-huh. And the reality is there is not a single person who's going to have that um, at some point you right. are going to maybe choose to do other things or at some point you are not, you know, through not your choices, but just life and the yeah. realities of it coming into play and health issues and all sorts of things mean that you can be the king of the mountain, but if you want it to last and be bigger than you and what you're capable of being, what any of us are capable of being, being you got to relax a little bit here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think one of those lenses I often use with my clients is that we're trying to find that balance between rigidity and chaos. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times folks in this this type of position are, are on that rigid end of the continuum and they're holding so tight and they're afraid that if they let go, that means they have no control at all. Yeah. And this is maybe tying back into that estate planning and family trust planning where you can help facilitate 
holding some control while yes. giving up some of the control. So can you talk a little bit about how the legal process actually can help facilitate a more flexible holding of the family business? Oh, absolutely. So one thing, you know, I, I tell people when it comes to these family situations and when, when money is, and family is tied together, family business or family wealth or, or, or land or even, you know, something, something like a, like a vacation home or anything uh-huh. like that. The first thing is don't bank on anything, right? If you are expecting an inheritance of X amount of dollars, don't factor that into your estate or into your own financial um, planning. You, you can do some things ahead of time to, to account for that and be flexible for that and be ready to accept it. But when you live your financial life, expecting that you will receive X amount of dollars, then you're putting yourself in a position where you're relying on getting that. And that's a bad place to be. You don't want to have to rely on an inheritance. You want to, uh, you want to be able to be self-sufficient to the point where, where the inheritance is a, is a nice blessing to you, but not something that you rely on so that if something goes slightly sideways, if something's a little bit more complicated, if there are taxes that you didn't account for, or um, just family dynamics and situations, or the person who actually owns the money decides to do something else, um, or needs it for themselves, you know, maybe have nursing home costs and things like that, you aren't looking out for your for your own best interest at that point. Because that's a rough place to be. How often do you see that where someone's been counting on? And you know, I, I always want to be very sensitive because different amounts of money mean different things to, to different folks. So I don't want to ever trivialize. But mm-hmm. when we when we're in estates, let's call them two million dollars or less. Mm-hmm. That's good money, can be good money for some people, but it's not oh, enough absolutely. money for most people to fully be able to retire on. Right. Especially if you have multiple siblings and after everything gets divided and mm-hmm. paid off, it's like, you know, and I really, some of your clients probably have much larger estates than that. But, you know, this is what we're talking about is a lot. I think psychologically, we kind of have that expectation that we're going to inherit something from mom and dad. And right. then, yeah. And a lot of families that I work with, there's not open transparency even about that inherited expectations. Like it's this big quiet space that they, nobody will cross into bequest motives of mom and dad. Right. There's very little communication. Yeah. There's very little communication um, of what amount should be. And a lot of times the, the older generation that has the wealth um, doesn't want to talk about what the wealth is because they don't want their, their kids to have that number in their head and start to like subconsciously or consciously factor that in and into their own financial landscape. Um, but there is very little conversation about it. So the first, the first thing I would recommend is if whatever is there, well, you know, whether it's, whether it's money and financial instruments, um, or whether it's a family business, um, or a, even a vacation home, Whatever you can do to not rely on it, don't rely on it. Now, there are some people who have to, right? You have a family right. business and yeah. you are you have given your working life to keeping this family business going. You right. know, that that's really important. You're you're putting your working, you know, your working life into it. Right. And when you're in that situation, 
you need to make whatever handshake understanding you have with your other family members who are involved in it. You need to get that to be something more than a handshake. You need to go see an attorney to say, okay, this is what our handshake understanding is, whether that's I'm putting my working years into this. And then when you retire, I will buy you out at a discount or buy you out in a particular way. Or if you die, then I get it. And not my siblings who have not given their working lives to this. Whatever that handshake understanding is, you need to verbalize that and get it on paper so you guys all understand what the handshake is. Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes yes. people think they're in a handshake and they're not. They don't, they're not on the same page. But even more important than that is is that other people become parts of the handshake. You know, your parents die uh-huh. if and if they haven't done estate planning, or maybe they've done estate planning that doesn't work with the handshake you thought you had, then suddenly you're shaking with your siblings. And they might not be on the same page as your parent was. Yeah. Um, but if you put that in a legal, you know, in a legal structure and in good legal documentation, then they're part of the handshake and they have to, they have to be part of it. Um, and they can't make any changes. You know, they can't adjust that if they don't like what dad did or mom did. So I really recommend that when there's family assets mm-hmm. to number one, if you can don't rely on it. And then number two, if you're stuck relying on it, then yes, your family and family members have handshakes and they trust each other and all that stuff, but you're also a business and treat it like that because other people will eventually get involved. And sometimes it's other family members. Sometimes it's the government. Um, And you need those, those relationships to also be business relationships. Well, right. I guess in a number of family businesses, there may also be non-family members in the family business Mm -hmm. that are maybe key, key uh, employees. And so now you've really got a lot that needs to be clarified and expectations, right? This is a big part of managing expectations in the family. And, Healthy families can talk openly about their expectations and get to some common ground. My experience has been for a lot of families when they don't have the skills to have relational conversations. So they they know, they know or they're anticipating it's going to go bad. They will just avoid (laughs) the conversation, right? Yep. And so as an attorney and a state planning attorney, how often do you find yourself helping facilitate communication in family? family groups a lot uh, particularly with those with those kind of uh continuation scenarios family businesses family farms whatnot uh-huh. um family cabins even um yeah. but but those family type assets and you know i'm in a region of the country where um avoidance is the norm <laughs> <laughs> thank you for naming that um you know the passive aggressive midwestern mindset is alive and well um, and there are just many families that have never had the conversation and, and they know that they should, and mm-hmm. they don't know how to start it. And even just saying, Hey, we've talked to a lawyer and we're going to have a family conference or, or we talked to the lawyer and we're thinking about doing this. Sometimes it's just like that, that underlying, we've talked to a lawyer and we want to do, we have an appointment starts the conversation. And it's amazing to me, it's very, you know, it's very otherwise like healthy families, but they just don't know how to articulate this issue. And that's the icebreaker. Okay. The icebreaker is just, we've talked with an attorney. Yeah. (laughs) And I can imagine that that probably even sends fear and trembling through some people. It can. Oh oh my gosh. Yeah. it, It depends a lot on the situation. Sometimes it's a relief. 
to hear, uh, you know, like, yes. oh, you're thinking about this. Oh, you're making plans. Oh, thank God. You know, like st- something is happening. Right. Um, yeah. And particularly, you know, just in any estate planning scenario, when you know that the person who's probably going to die before you, right. You know, probably yeah. a parent or something like that. And they maybe aren't, aren't communicating and maybe they're purposefully not communicating about their assets, what they have, their, their finances, what you might get, um, any of that stuff. Um, you don't even know what kind of planning they've done because ultimately you're probably going to be the one cleaning it up. The fact whether or not they do an estate plan is going to affect you most of all. Right. Uh, That's right. That's right. (laughs) And so, and just, just to kind of back up, you know, I call estate planning, thinking through the legal to-do list, you'll leave when you die. And if you become incapacitated, and then doing things in advance to make that to-do list easier. I love that. So the estate planning process is about getting clear on what the to-do legal to-do list is and mm-hmm. then getting as many of those items checked as possible before you die. So that right. way the, the family members left behind have the, the smallest to-do list possible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It seems like it could be a real act of love and care. Absolutely. It, it truly is. And there's, there's, there's a book that, that articulates this attitude and it's an attitude that I see time and time again, and I wish it extended. And what I would love to see as kind of a change in our, in our cultural way of viewing all of this is if it extended beyond this particular group of people. But the book that, it, that I'm referring to is a book called um, the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. And it talks about physical cleaning, right? Oh. Like, physically cleaning your house and it's I, you know, I'm Midwest Lutheran and it works, it works great for me to like declutter my house. Cause I feel guilty if I don't feel guilty about something I should, <laughs> I should treasure this object someone gave to me, but I don't, and I can't get rid of it because then I'm like, yeah. I just, but, but this Swedish, like the Swedish mindset is you, you live your physical life with the understanding that someone else is going to have to clean it up if you get hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. 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 And there's a statement in there where, where the author says, I've had to, cl- I've had to clean up after someone else's death uh-huh. and I'll be damned if I'll leave a mess for other people to clean up after mine. It's really so powerful. And it's an, it is, I think it's, as far as I can tell, it's an act of maturity. I, I'm coming to that word today. Yes. It really is an uh-huh. act of adult maturity. It's in the, you know, the the reality of our mortality is universal as humans. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But different cultures handle it, that de- fear of death and anxiety. And so, you know, I think as two professionals here having this conversation is we want to make it as comfortable as possible to talk about your death and the reality yeah. that it's going to happen. And that the transition will be really important. You know, as a family therapist, when we have tragic or unexpected or unresolved grief, it mm-hmm. it increases the risk of depression and anxiety long-term. Yes. And so yep. these are like, th- these things are also deeply interrelated. It's part of the family life cycle and the developmental perspective. So as a family therapist, we're always thinking about human growth and development and what we should be able to do psychologically at different stages. Uh-huh. 
and by the time we get into our 40s and 50s, we need to be able to think about our own mortality and start to be making plans for it mm-hmm. with anticipation that hopefully we'll still live for many decades. Mm-hmm. But the reality of our own mortality becomes far more salient when we get into the midlife in the second yeah. half. Yeah. And and what's so interesting is that I see so many people who've had to clean up a mess. You know, mm-hmm. usually usually it's widows. Yeah. That their husbands died, they had to deal, you know, they had to do whatever stuff they needed to do to transfer assets, get names off of things, whatever. And so they come in ready to go and they're not, they're not shy. They're not nervous. They're not like, oh, I don't like, I have to talk about my death. They're like, no, like let's brass tacks here. How do you, like, what do I need to do? How Mm -hmm. do I make sure my beneficiary designations are doing what, you know, like what, how does all of this stuff fit together? Like they're so hungry to make sure that they don't leave a mess Mess. for their kids. And it's so cool because, because, you know, then later on when you see the kids come in and they're like, Oh, my mom, like my mom just, it was so easy. And it's, Uh, and then you think about the grief cycle, right? uh Well, when you have this, this overwhelming legal to-do list and you're having to learn all this legal stuff, when you're suppressing the grief, right? You're delaying, you're delaying your, your grief Grief process, process, whatever that is. That's, that's part of the reason why I do what I do is that it's so incredibly frustrating to see people who have to work through something that could have easily been avoided mm. and knowing that that is, that is suppressing their ability not to move on. You don't move on, but to work through and come and come to a place, you know, like it's just pushing off this whole process that they have to go through right. because they have, they have like practical stuff they need to deal with. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. And so in working with an estate planning professional like yourself, you really get that clarity on what you need to do. All right. I think, right, I mean, this, again, most of us will only go through one or two, three people's deaths in our Correct. lifetime where we're... Yeah. Directly responsible. You're the adult. Admin- you have to clean it up. Yeah. A minister, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so, of course, you know, you're not going to be an expert in this, and you're not going to mm-hmm. know all the things you need to know. But folks like yourself have checklists, know the process, know the sequence. Mm-hmm. This is what you get paid to do: is to walk mm-hmm. people through this process. Literally, that's yeah. your job. Like, yeah. there are complexities and nuances to it, but that doesn't have to stop you from being afraid to work on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you know, this is, this is the area of law that you don't have to deal with often, but almost everybody will deal with and everybody will create these legal issues. You know, you can have a, you can have a checking account of $5,000 and if you are in a coma or, um, if you get hit by a Mack truck, there's a legal issue to walk through. Someone's going to be walking through a legal issue. How do I get that account to whoever, wherever it's supposed to go? Who is it supposed to get to? Right. Right. So Jen, 
Why did you get in this personally? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I, and I think this is, this is the honest answer is that I wanted, to, I'm a teacher and to me, like explaining this stuff to people is, is mostly teaching. Um, uh-huh. If I'm helping someone um, doing a state plan, there are things that they need to understand so that the plan that we put together actually plays out. And what I mean by that is, so whether we set up a trust or we're, you know, we're, we're doing just a will, um, maybe we're planning to have things transferred through beneficiary designations, whatever their plan looks like, they need to number one, have a basic understanding of how it works. They don't need to know all the details, but the the basics of it. But the important thing is that they have to get their assets to follow the plan. It's no different than any other organization. So, for example, if I set up a trust, which is it's a legal document that's rules about owning something. And if none of my assets refer to that trust, my trust is not going to do anything. Nothing's following those rules. Okay. My Thank assets you. have to things like deeds or um, the ownership listing with the bank or whatever, um, or through beneficiary designations have to at some point say, oh, now I'm following the rules of that trust. I'm owned by the trustee under those rules. And when it does that, then, okay, it follows the plan. But if it's not doing that, it's not, it's not following the plan. And so I can set up a trust hoping to avoid probate. But if my, if the clients I'm working with don't understand this component, I call it financial organization. The legal term is trust funding in the context of a trust, but it's the same, whatever kind of plan you have, you know, like, what do I own? Where does it go when I die? And is that following the plan or do I need to adjust it? Or like a really great example is you, you get a life insurance policy uh-huh. and you know how that, like when you get it, take it out, then they say, well, who do we write the check out to? Say so you say the name and they put it in a beneficiary designation. Well, if you set up a life insurance policy and you're married, you're going to put your spouse. That's the normal thing to do. But if you get a divorce down the road, you can change your will however you want. If you don't change your beneficiary designation, the right. company is ready to write that check to your spouse. And there may be ways to get around that. But when you say there may be ways to get around that, now you have a legal mess. You know, when you could have just updated yeah, your beneficiary designation. Well, I think, you know, what I'm hearing in that is also there can be that misunderstanding of which document holds priority. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And there is a priority of documentation and yep. for different asset types. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and once like the teaching aspect really comes into play where, you know, when my clients, when I'm working with clients and, you know, here's your plan, here, here's, here's how your plan works. And then we talk about, okay, we have to get your assets to follow the plan. And then at some point, you know, hopefully, um, but at some point we're trying to get that, that light bulb to click to be like, oh, I have to put my stuff within my system, you know, just like Uh organizing a closet, you got to put the things in the system. And, and then when they understand that, when that, when that light bulb goes off, then on the administration side, it's a night and day difference. You know, we meet with families and it's like, Oh, they understood how this worked and they did it the right way. Easy. Yeah. Versus those. It's like, Oh, you might have great documents. You might not. But this is still messier than it needed to be because they didn't understand this this component to it. How much 
how often, you know, so financial literacy is kind of coming to mind. Yes. Financials, uh, the word, the fancy word we use is financial self-efficacy, like the belief that I can figure this stuff out. Yeah. How often do you see that stuff showing up like or financial anxiety, <laughs> stopping people from being able to really absorb this information? And what do you do? To, That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. How do we overcome that? What do you do? Yeah. To, to make it a, approachable because once our brain is in an anxious state, we don't process information very well. Yeah. Um, I really like to start out with, with a very basic understanding that assets move in, in one of two ways. Okay. You know, some assets will tell us how, how they move and they will move according to that. And here's examples of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then other assets won't. And, here's how those assets move. And then I think a lot of it is that example, you know, like you give them concrete examples in their own life and then it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Oh, uh, my IRA. Uh-huh. Yeah. They told me there was a beneficiary designation on that. Oh yeah. That's to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And so, so where, where it gets personalized, I think that's really start really where that starts to get absorbed. Yeah. So using their own life stories and examples yeah. helps them bridge the gap between these new concepts that maybe they're learning and, yeah. What they're needing to get definitely. applied. Mm-hmm. It's such a helping profession being an estate planning professional. I mean, you yeah. said teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. So for those families that find themselves to be more on the, uh, I, I mean, I don't know why I feel weird saying it, but I always feel weird saying it, the dysfunctional side of the continuum because sure. I, I feel like I'm name calling. Right. I don't right. Like that. It's like, well, isn't everybody alone? <laughs> Nobody wants to be from the dysfunctional family. Some people readily acknowledge I am from a dysfunctional family. So, you know, we have different, the the overly sensitive therapist here is like, oh, well, but some people are not going to feel it. So, but if you're 40, you're 50 years old and your parents, mm-hmm. you're unsure of your parents' estate planning yeah. status even, mm-hmm. how do you... How do you coach them into starting to figure that out? <laughs> yeah. So like the first thing to, this is truly, it is the reverse. I, I call it the reverse sex talk. Right? The reverse sex talk. Like uh. you, you are not going to cover it in one conversation. Uh-huh. Don't think you're going to swoop in, sit at the k- kitchen table and convince them to do a will. You know? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You can you know, help provide education, but ultimately this is up to them. You only can hope that they can make good choices. You cannot steer the ship. Um, you know, all estate planners get calls from kids saying my parents need to do a will. And sometimes the, the kids, you know, kind of do need to help facilitate just because of technology issues or health issues or whatever. Sure. Um, but ultimately it's those parents that are making the decision to move forward, to do it, what they're going to say, what they're, what the plans are going to be. Yeah. You know, so you can only hope that they make good choices. A couple of things um, of resources that I put together, because this is such a common issue. And if it's not an issue that you're facing, it's an issue that you're going to face. Um, uh, or, you know, or nothing happens. And then you're going to be walking through, you know, dealing with whatever legal list is there, whether it's an easy short list or a very long and complicated one. Is number one, get yourself educated. Okay. Um, and so a re- so a couple of resources I have, I have a do's and don'ts of the conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. one of the big things that I say don't do and do instead is don't frame it as an aging thing. Okay. Oh, you, we just had your 70th birthday. Have you done your will? Like 
This is not about aging because no one thinks they're old enough to do to have a will. No one feels like they're old enough to do uh, estate right. planning or think about their mortality. They just never do, you know. Um, yeah. And and if you think, well, I'll wait until I have health issues, that's going to be too late because either you won't be able to, or you have more important things to address uh-huh. than meeting with a lawyer and doing your estate plan. Right. So yep. yeah. So really consider it something that responsible, you know, we, we've been talking about maturity and responsibility, responsible adults do their estate plan. Uh-huh. And if you, if you approach it in a way like, Oh, I just did my estate plan or I'm looking into doing my own estate plan. Is that something you've done? You uh, know, it sends right. the message that I'm not calling you old. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I'm not trying to angle for my, for my inheritance or fish for money about finances. This is something responsible adults do. I'm curious if you have to. Yeah, right. And I'm guessing you don't you don't need to add the responsible adults piece. It's just kind of implied, right? <laughs> right, it's, exactly. I've I've done it, have you? You know? Yeah. Um yeah. Uh so that that's a that's a you know, I think a big big tip, a a, a much easier way to approach it that's a lot more productive. And then I have um a probate boot camp because I think so much of it is not knowing what what legal issues are even there you know you know there's legal issues generally but is it simply a matter of of getting a will or what you know what about healthcare decisions what about um you know does it make sense to have a trust when does that come into play there's so much information about this stuff mm-hmm. and you if you go online there's a lot there's just overwhelming amounts of information that are very it's very detailed right, um, right. it's not but it's not easily digestible, like the basics, uh-huh. you know, what, what issues do I need to think about? Or should I, should I encourage my parents to think about, or if my parents don't think about, am I going to be facing, um, what is this different, do these different things mean? So that's why I created the boot camp is just to have that basic, okay, this is what's involved. All right. <laughs> that's great. So tell me, tell us a little bit more about this resource and where can people find it? So you can find my resources um, at my website, organizedafterlife.com. But um, and I'll, I'll shoot you the links for the do's and don'ts uh, yeah. guide and the probate boot camp. Um, and then um, also on my website, I have a longer course when you're ready to do estate planning. And that walks you through the information you need and the steps you need to take so that not only do you just like know, okay, this, okay, like signing a will, okay. But you actually understand how to get an effective estate plan that actually Whoa. happens. <laughs> There's probably a lot behind that. That mm-hmm. hmm. So you see a lot of people that even maybe have met with an estate planning attorney, yes. but it's not an effective estate plan. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And it's Whoa. this component of organization. Okay. So, and, and this is something that, you know, I think, I think estate planners, all of us who, who are really not just wanting to, to put together legal documents, but we really want to solve, we're really trying to solve a problem, you know, the, this overwhelming legal to-do list and how right. do we make that shorter and easier, you know, when you're gone. Um, we're constantly struggling with, okay, we create this great organizational system. You know, it's just like, it's just like you get a, get like a, one of those closet places to come in to put uh-huh. a system in your closet. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what we do. We set up these great systems. Right. Uh-huh. But if yeah. our clients don't internalize 
that that they need to get their assets to follow the plan. And we're constantly trying to find, you know, what are effective ways where clients will number one understand this and number two follow through on this. Right. Right. So that their beneficiary designations are doing what they're supposed to do. The real estate is doing what it's supposed to do. The deeds say what we need it to, all that yeah. stuff. You know, right. like here's a here's a great concrete example that we run into all the time. Um is someone sets up a trust for the purpose of avoiding probate. And here's why it avoids probate. Probate is the process to deal with assets that are stuck in a dead person's name. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you have a life insurance policy with your spouse as beneficiary and they survive you. Great. That's not part of probate. Mm -hmm. That's going, the spouse is the owner now. Yay. Right. Yay. Right? Um, but, um, and a trust fits into that can be a tool for doing, it can do lots of things. But one of the things that it can do is that the things that say they're following the rules of the trust aren't stuck in a dead person's name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. So trust are a set of rules mm -hmm. and all trusts ha have to have these rules. It has to say, this is the person who manages the asset and here's the person who benefits from the asset. Sure. Okay? And almost all trust will say, well, if that person dies, here's how we figure out who should manage it next. Mm -hmm. And if that beneficiary dies, here's the next person who gets to benefit from the asset. Yeah. And so it's never stuck in anyone's name. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. But the key is you need the assets to say they're following the rules. So here, so here's an example of like you have great legal documents and you, and you still run into a problem. So you set up a um, you set up a trust as part of your estate plan, and one of the reasons is I want to avoid probate. Awesome. And you're working with a good attorney who's like, yeah, we need to get your assets to follow the plan. They're not skipping that part. They know how important that part is. And so they they have you sign a deed that refers to the trust, but then they move mm -hmm. and they don't understand this, this financial organization part. Yeah. And so their new real estate doesn't refer at all to the trust. And so they die. The real estate's just in their own name. And in my state and pretty much any state across the country, if real estate is stuck in a dead person's name, guess what? You need a probate. Uh, so that's where there's kind of the being able to update and working with a financial planner often, like this is part of the role of the financial yeah, planner is to go through and say, how are all your documents titled? Are they consistent with the estate plan? Mm -hmm. And then if we need the estate plan to be redrawn, that's where working with the estate planning attorney to draw up the naming of the documents and the organization yep. really comes into play. Yep. So there's a partnership between your financial planner and your estate planning uh, professional as well. Absolutely. Where the financial planner can be do, helping you do a lot of that due diligence and kind of go through the checklist and say, okay, let's look at everything you own and make sure it's title consistent with, mm -hmm. and you know, and keeping that in mind, right? Because it's like I think the analogy you're using is really great. Is like we're trying to give you this great closet closet system, so you have a place for your shoes, a yeah. place for your blouses, slacks, and you know your underwear and everything else. But sometimes you can like if you don't fully adopt the system, then it's yeah. like. You're still putting your underwear in your, you know, night dresser or I don't know, nightstand. And right. Stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, but no, you have this nice closet system over here. Like, right. You get new you, things and you don't put it within the system. You just throw it in the closet. You're going to have a mess. Right. Right. And so that's part of that change is also, you know, I wonder if some people will kind of feel like, I'm just going to put it out there. This is rich people problems. Yes. And like, I, I, know, I know a lot of people that 
don't see themselves as rich enough to do this type of work. And yet mm-hmm. the reality, I mean, you kind of made the point is like, look, everyone's going to die and everyone's going to have some estate planning issues. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to own something. <laughs> you're going to own something or you're going to have debts. Yeah. Right. And even if you have a bunch of debts, you still got to, that still has to be addressed at death. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. I mean, that yep. doesn't just disappear. Correct. Oh, I got, I'm, this is an off the wall question. Let's see. I can't remember someone. I was on an interview, a different interview. And someone said, well, do I have to take over my parents' medical debts? Oh, that's a great question. So yeah. let's hear from the estate planning attorney right? about this one. This is redirecting the conversation a little bit, but it is all like, you know, we talk about the assets. Yeah. Cause it, it's a, it's a big anxiety generator. Yes. Right. right. Um, Generally speaking, and you're going to hear a lot of like lawyery, like, yeah. like posturing um, and framing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So generally speaking, you don't inherit debt. However, there are <laughs> some exceptions. Your inherit, your ability to inherit stands behind paying creditors and, and making those creditors, you know, people that the debt, that person owed whole. So part of the estate, part of the probate process and the reason, at least, at least where I'm at, the biggest time lag for us is waiting for a period for creditors to say, yeah, that person owed me money. We don't want beneficiaries of the estate to get and walk away. And then a creditor says, wait, I was owed something. Right. Another, uh, you know, another thing is the, if someone needs nursing home care and can't pay for it for themselves, the state will come in, you know, all the states have programs. It's a federal program to come in and pay for it. You know, if they qualify and they have assets, then then the state's planning to be reimbursed through those assets. And that's why I say, you know, if you're if you're banking your financial future on an inheritance, that's a bad place to put yourself because they might need nursing home care that that they're going to need to use those assets, you know, right. or the state maybe will ignore for whatever reason, they'll say, oh, that's fine if you keep it, but we're going to get it after you pass away. We're going to get it. So you, those things do impact um, what people receive. And then there's a couple of states where there's like these quirky old laws about about like relatives have to pay for or like are responsible for debts for like for like the necessities of life or something that my state doesn't have that rule. Thank God. (laughs) And and like those rules haven't happened a whole lot. So they're like, haven't been enforced a whole lot, but yeah. yeah, So it's all like with an asterisk. Um, So that's kind of how it all works. You don't have to pay for some, you know, you don't have to pay for, for a credit card bill from, from a relative, Um, but you're in here. Don't bank on your inheritance. You've said this so many times and it's funny because like, I think the therapist and psychologist in me is like, oh, our brains are so wired to do that. Like oh we're my gosh, just yeah. so wired to anticipate. And and I think yeah. that there's yep. playing the devil's advocate. There is a, it is reasonable to expect to receive something from your parents. If you know, your parents have some level of assets, mm-hmm. but what, what's really challenging is that number is often mystery and it's not going to be quite as, it may not be as much as you think. Sometimes it may be a lot more, but you don't know. Right. And, and what we really don't know is when your parents are going to die. Yeah. We just don't know. And so if you're planning your retirement on your parents' estate, 
but they end up living into their well into their nineties. You're either working much longer than you expect it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of complexities there. Um, and your parents don't have a perfect crystal ball on how much they're going to need asset wise either. Right. Yeah. And I guess you know, that's that. So if, if you do find yourself in that headspace of I'm anticipating an inheritance, mm-hmm. that's something to really think about and mm-hmm. get more curious about you know, because I think that there's a lot of people that feel entitled to inheritances. Yeah. Um, yep. And where does that come from? Yeah. And that drives so many disputes. You know, when we have family members who say, I'm not relying on this money, whatever I get is, is extra, you know, and it kind of a blessing, you know, yeah. on my situation, it, it's a night and day difference in the administration. You know, people can communicate. They aren't, they aren't second guessing sales prices, you know, what the home sell for, right, you know, right. and versus people who are like, no, I was expecting X amount of dollars. And that drives the controversies and almost always those controversies results results in less for everybody. Yeah, because that's that's where the legal fees start mm-hmm. racking up. Yeah, that's where we come in. <laughs> yeah, that's where you come in, right? I yeah. mean, you know, in one way, it benefits you for families to not pay any attention to what we just <laughs> talked about and to really royally mess yeah. it up, right? Mm-hmm. But you're an ethical professional and... Yeah, you want to get paid for your service, but you would really rather people move through the state planning process. Right. In administration, we don't need the controversies. Like like we don't just, need you fighting over the family assets to make we a don't living. Need you fighting, like, we don't need you fighting over it. Just just like we'll we'll help you walk you th- walk you through the probate. And if you guys don't fight, great. I have other stuff to do. <laughs> you know, like I will work on some wills. Yes, right. There's I don't, yeah, I don't need you to have family conflict over this. And you probably, you probably enjoy working with clients that are smooth and efficient and and coordinate it because it's a lot of emotional energy to work with a family in conflict. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, we do it, you know, you and I are both professionals. We care about people. And so if that's where you're at and that's where you're at um, and that's why, why we're here, but this has been so helpful and so informative and, you know, it's, it, I think just the safety of hearing people talk about estate planning can make it easier and more yeah. approachable. So yep. if people wanted to reach out to you, you, know, you can only serve clients in Minnesota with your specific legal, yep. but your course could be helpful for anybody around the country. Correct. So I really, really what, what I was noticing is there's this, there's this gap in knowledge. Right. Um, I feel like everyone, whether it's they, they decide, okay, it's, I should do an estate plan what does that, you know, what does that mean? I guess I'll call an attorney or, you know, maybe a lot of people, or you're just like, I guess I'll do an estate plan. I'm going to start Googling what I should do. Or people, you know, there's a death and they're like, we got to do something. I don't know what that means, but it seems like unless you've been through this rodeo, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm originally from South Dakota, so I'm part of cowboy. Um, <laughs> but, but if you haven't been through this rodeo, then the vast majority of clients that I meet with have the same look on their face that I did when I was 14 years old and took my car to a mechanic. That's also right. in South Dakota, we drove when we were four or 14. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that might sound young to some of um, So when I first took my car to a mechanic, I didn't quite understand how cars worked. Right. Right. And so I was just like, okay, I hope you know what you're doing and I hope you're doing the right thing. 
fingers crossed. And I feel like that is the state of our, of our industry um, is that, you know, you hope you find a good attorney. You hope, um, you know, that you're finding good resources. Can you replace an attorney with online DIY stuff? You know, why, why wouldn't you consider that? And it was a gap. It's just a gap in knowledge. And it's so much different now that I know how my car works. When I take it into a, I'm not, I'm not changing my oil. I'm not equipped to do that. But, but it's a different scenario now that I, that I know how my car works and I take it to a mechanic. Um, and the, the clients who have been to that, they been to the rodeo, they, they have the basic understanding of how it works. It's such a different vibe working with them because, because then, you know, we're really strategizing together and they're going, they're going to have an effective plan that actually plays out. Um, and what you need to know, and this is the thing that shocks me. It still shocks me after 15 years of being an attorney is that the things that you need to know, like your plan is going to be specific to the state you live in. Right. Because all these states are complete. Like there, there's totally different ways that the different states do it. Sure. But what, but what you need to know to be able to get an effective estate plan is completely the same in every state in, in the United States. And so that's where the course came out of is, is wanting to give people that ability to say, Oh, now I understand enough of how this works right. that I can now know how to work with a professional to get an effective plan. You know, it just reminds me of being an informed consumer for medicine or any other yeah. service, right? Is you, and again, kind of coming back to that maturity and really taking care of yourself is doing some self-education and your course sounds like it would be a great platform to get kind of a, a systematic overview yeah. of the state planning process and the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So that way you can go in and you can ask the questions and y- you know you should right. be asking some of these questions, even if you don't know the full meaning. But you're also going to get a sense for, and I think listening to the other side is, do you, did you find a professional like Jen who's really interested in teaching and guiding and advising mm-hmm. and has a, a compassionate and empath- empathic approach? Um, because, you know, there's no reason for this to feel like an uncomfortable process. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So everything's on my website, organizedafterlife.com. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show yeah. today. Thank you for the work you do to help families. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Oh, thanks so much, Ed. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.